What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Welcome back to our program here on Larry Glover Live, the final broadcast hour of the week. We'll have a little basketball talk later in the hour as we uh, inch closer to 3 o'clock and handing the reins and the keys over to Cruiser and Crew. I'll be headed to Cincinnati for a volleyball tournament. you got that to look forward to. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I like watching Katie and her friends play and uh, just, just uh, good fun. A little national tournament going on, actually, at her first a national qualifier as a club volleyballer. So looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully the girls will... Well, uh, we'll play well and uh, maybe uh, get a favorable draw, and who knows, maybe it can advance. If not, it'll be a great experience either way. Uh, so right now we're going to shift gears and talk a little uh, state politics with Senator Damon Thayer. Senator, welcome to the show. Appreciate your time as always. Hello. Good afternoon to you and your listeners. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing today? I am doing well. We are... Past the halfway stage of this legislative session and I know. in horse racing parlance, we are rounding the turn and getting ready to head for home. I, I got to ask you before we get into this stuff, too, about uh, Senator McConnell's announcement back on uh, Wednesday, I think it was, that he's uh, going to be resigning from his position as leadership in the, in the, the Senate, uh, effective in November um, he'll just be an ordinary senator. He'll no longer be Leader McConnell uh, come November. Um, just, just the kind of impact he's had, and uh, and the impact he's had on you as as you've become a prominent member of the Republican Party in the state Senate. Yeah, I'm. I'm an. Un, and thanks for asking. I'm an unabashed Mitch McConnell fan. The modern day Republican Party in Kentucky was built by Mitch McConnell. He, uh, in addition to the work he's done in Washington, D.C., which I'm happy to address, he has been very involved for most of his career in helping us gain and grow Republican supermajorities in the House and Senate. And I know legislators from other states who have jobs like mine, majority leaders, presidents of the Senate, and things like that. And... I tell them about Mitch's involvement in our races, and they're shocked because their mm-hmm. their Republican U.S. senators could give a hoot, according to them. So we've yeah. been really lucky to have Senator McConnell's advice, counsel, fundraising assistance. Uh, he's he's been a real uh, leader of our effort, and I'm and I'm forever grateful to him. He was very helpful to me in my first two races. Back in '03 and '04, uh, mm-hmm. gave me some great advice and was very helpful. So I'm, I'm grateful uh, personally and on behalf of my caucus, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, but you know, Kentucky has punched above its weight for so long because of Leader McConnell mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. And while you know a a year from now he won't be the Republican leader, I, I don't think he's going to be an ordinary senator. You know, he's, he'll still have two years left on his term. I predict he will be very influential, and I, I still think there's a chance that he runs for re-election in 2026. Really? 
Yeah, I, I don't have a good feel for it. I mean, I mean he my, got a, my sense is my sense is he's not going to. But what what makes you think that he very well could? Have you heard something, or just uh, just judging by by his behavior, he doesn't seem like a guy that's ready to hang it up. Well, I wasn't able to attend, uh, but a week and a half ago, uh, Republican legislators posted a fundraiser for him here in Frankfurt, and I'm told that he already has eight million dollars in the bank. Now <laughs> there are a lot of things you can extrapolate from that, mm-hmm. but you know I I don't have any inside information. Um, mm-hmm. You know there are other senators like President Stivers and. Senator Adams, who are closer to him personally than I am, um, but but so I have no information. But I just you know reading the tea leaves, I think he's keeping all of his options open. But I will admit, yeah. I was taken by surprise uh, that he uh, is stepping down as Republican leader because I believe, and pundits would say, there's a 75 percent chance that Republicans in the U.S. Senate regain the majority in November. And, and and Mitch McConnell could have taken a victory lap his last two years of his term as majority leader. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he's a very smart and savvy guy. Never underestimate him. He's always playing the long game. And I believe he's got a couple of big moves left in him. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what, that, what those moves are. But this was certainly you know, he... a big move. And I find it – I'm sorry, go ahead, Larry. I was, I was saying, well, you know, he's he's eighty two. Maybe he's just tired of herding cats. <laughs> That's what it's like. Look, it's exhausting. And you know, I've been majority leader here in Kentucky. I'm in my twelfth year, and I love the job. Uh, and it's not nearly as hard hard a job. I've got to help manage a thirty one member supermajority. Mitch McConnell has been balancing, you know. On the head of a pin with 50, sometimes 48, sometimes 52 Republican members, and you've got them as diverse as Susan Collins from Maine and Rand Paul from Kentucky. I mean, and Ted Cruz from Texas. I mean, some real ideological differences. Plus, he's got to deal with those absolute yahoos in the Democratic Party up there, like (laughs) Chuck Schumer. That would drive me crazy. I mean, there's, there's a, there are very few Democrats in the U.S. Senate who I respect as much as I, re- I respect most of the Democrats I have to deal with on a daily basis in the state Senate. So, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 30 years younger than Mitch McConnell, and yeah. it's exhausting to do it here. I can't imagine, can't imagine. Now he eats, sleeps, and breathes it. I have other mm-hmm. things that interest me besides politics. Yeah. You know, politics. And U of L football are the two things he cares about the most. Yeah, yeah, he's a big Louisville fan. Um, he's he's a huge basketball fan too. You know, uh, I was uh, working with his office to have him. This is interesting because uh, um, when COVID hit, I was working with uh, his staff to have him come on the show and do a, and do brackets with me. <laughs> we're calling we're going to call it macatology. Um, and of course, when COVID hit and the tournament got canceled, we didn't do it, but. He's a huge basketball fan. Like he, I mean, I, I'm told that you know he can, he, he can debate. You know, like you know the top ten point guards nationally. I mean, like he's as invested. I mean, he knows and studies college basketball. As, you know, as much as probably as I do, and 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 a lot of people who consider themselves to be quasi experts on it. He just, 
and I'll say this, and then we'll move on too. I know we had um, a caller yesterday say you know that he's not he's not very responsive. I, I mean, I, it's I, it's the first time I've ever heard him accused of not being respond his office not being responsive. But I will say this too, and I, I think you'll agree. I've never seen a staff of a politician as devoted and and committed to defending him as his staff is. His staff loves him in a way that I I think is unusual really. I mean I I mean some staff, you know, fear their boss or maybe go along to get along. His staff loves him and defends him fiercely. Well, first of all, he hires excellent people. Excellent people and they all go on uh, to be very successful um, in in whatever they do, usually in politics or government. But they are very loyal. They you, they have like reunion parties regularly, uh, and and you're right. He he creates loyalty because he is loyal to them, and yeah. I think he is a largely misunderstood man. And I mm-hmm. think he is one of the most consequential Kentuckians in the history of the Commonwealth. And we will someday look back uh, and, and appreciate him. You know, it's hard to be a prophet mm-hmm. in your own time, uh, in your own land. And, you know, there are a lot of people in my party who don't appreciate him like they should. I mean, he, he has kept so many bad things from happening to our country. Uh, he also, he should get credit for permanently codifying the George W. Bush tax cut and the deal he cut with then Vice President Biden when Barack Obama was president. He, he's, he's remade the entire federal judiciary for a generation. And, mm-hmm. you know, Trump, Trump owes that to Mitch McConnell. Um, and it's it's too bad that he's so negative towards mm-hmm. towards Leader McConnell, because I got, one of Trump's legacies is the people he appointed to the bench, and Mitch yeah. McConnell played the biggest role in confirming them, including mm-hmm. three conservative justices to the U.S. Supreme yeah. Court. No doubt about that. I, I agree with you. I think he is misunderstood. Not that I know him well, but I've gotten a chance to get to know him over the last six or seven years, and. Uh, and I, I remember one time I, I mentioned to him that I was going to be coming to D.C. with um, with some of my extended family. And he said, well, you know, call my office and we'll, we'll set up a really cool tour for you. So I did. Um, among those going with us were my, my brother and sister-in-law who living in Pennsylvania, my brother-in-law of which is a very proud progressive Democrat. I mean, he, he thinks Republicans are responsible for everything that bad happens to our country. And I told him, I said, well, listen, I, I think, I think, I, you know, Senator McConnell's offered to, to give us, a, have his office set up a tour for us. If you're interested, we can do that. I mean, I don't know if you, if you how comfortable you feel <laughs> to go taking a tour with McConnell's office. They're like, well, that's fine. We'll do that. So we went to New York for a couple of days and went to DC for a couple of days and, and his office uh, set up an incredible tour for us. I mean, I mean, we got a chance to see parts of the Capitol that you just don't see. We got a chance to go down on the, on the, actually on the Senate floor and walk around and, and, and see, you know, it, and they were showing us the different desks that are used by the senators and, and how they sign the inside of the desk. So you can see a desk, you know, you know, the one that's used by Barack Obama and, uh, you know, uh, you know, and all, all the different you know, Massachusetts senators, Kennedy and those guys, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I think is currently the one that's got uh, that, that desk going. So, so on and so forth. So it's at the end of the trip, 
we're sitting around my, my in-laws um, back porch and we're talking about our favorite part of the trip, Damon. And all four members of my family in Pennsylvania said the highlight of the trip was meeting Mitch McConnell because he was nothing like they expected. Well, he is an institution. And, uh, and by the way, what you, what you talked about emphasizes the excellent work he and his staff do on constituent services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the reasons he's been the longest-serving senator in Kentucky history. Uh, I, I admire him greatly. I don't agree with him on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything. But I, I think he has been a warrior for the conservative movement, and he's realistic because he knows what he can and cannot get done based on the numbers he has in the Senate, the crazy House of Representatives we have right now, and the situation with who's ever president. He is about the art of getting things done and also about the art of killing bad things from happening mm-hmm. to our country. And yeah. I, I will always defend him. Uh, I will always defend him. And uh, Senator, I, wanna, I just, uh, you know... I was going to say, I, I want to take a break. I want to come back. I want to actually talk about, about state legislature stuff, too. I, I didn't mean to let, let the entire conversation get away, but I know it was—I know it's something that was important to you, and I want to, I want to give you a chance to kind of weigh in on that. But I want to take a break. We'll come back, and we'll get into some, some policy, too, that you guys are debating and, and discussing and voting on up in Frankfurt uh, here during the 2024 GA. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby of the whole school. Yeah, just I hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back to our program here on Lyric Lover Live here on 97.3 FM WVLK. We're talking with Senator Damon Thayer. Uh, Senator, all just a few minutes left. I want to ask you about uh, a piece of legislation that uh, that you filed, uh, Senate Bill 350. We've talked about this a little bit before about about the pay for legislators because it's considered a part-time job, but it really is not a part-time job. But, but your constituents and, and Kentuckians feel like that it is, and, and frankly, I've, I've talking about earlier and people responding on our text line i've yet to come across anybody who supports that so make make the arguments to why this is good legislation and why the legislators should get a raise well first of all i'm not going to push the bill i don't expect it to pass and mm-hmm. because i'm leaving i'm filing some bills to make some statements to create mm-hmm. some conversation because here in kentucky we have this illusion that our legislature is part-time, and it's not. I made $41,000 last year in this job, and I'm 56 years old, and I have 21 years of experience. Mm -hmm. It's a joke. We need to modernize our legislature. This quaint little part-time thing is old-fashioned and out of date, and I'm Mm old-fashioned myself. I, I admit that, but, you know, when... When members of the House who have only been there one or two terms are leaving and they tell me, and this is Republicans and Democrats, they tell me that it, it, it just isn't financially viable, uh, I, think, I think we have a problem. And it's, 
we could have a problem in attracting good people. You know, I, I had to give up a, a, an extremely well-paying job uh, that I had in the horse industry uh, a long time ago when I, when I got into the state Senate. Um, mm -hmm. You either have to be retired or already pretty wealthy or have a really understanding employer to do these jobs. They are not yeah. part-time jobs. They are full-time jobs. There's only 138 people who do them. We're making big decisions on behalf of the people of Kentucky, multi-billion dollar decisions. And, and I think that legislators should be paid commensurate with that. It's not going to affect me. I'm, I'm out. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm, I'm not trying to propose a raise for myself. Matter of fact, the raise that the General Assembly voted in two years ago, I don't even qualify for. The only way I would get it is if I ran for re-election, then I would get an 8% yeah. raise like other state employees. So this is not about me. It's about the institution. And I think it's time we create conversation around how poorly legislators are paid. And I think it could ultimately have a negative effect on the quality of candidates that we're getting to run for these jobs. And I know people yeah, are that's it. Nobody wants to pay pay legislators more. I'm not surprised by it. But it's a mm -hmm. it's a lot of work and it takes away from your family, your business, your job. You're never off the clock. You take calls at night, you take calls on weekends, you have things to deal with even when you're on vacation. And I'm not complaining. I've, I'm going to end up doing it for 22 years, and it's been an amazing, awesome experience. Mm -hmm. But I think based on that experience I have, I think I can speak with a level of assurity to tell you that it's a problem, and we're, it's, it's going to lead to uh, fewer good-quality people wanting to run for these jobs. Yeah, I made that point earlier too. That uh, that because you have to essentially leave your own job or, or take a hiatus or a leave of absence for your job, that it takes a pretty unique position and a situation for a person to be able to even run for the legislature. Whether you're independently wealthy or whether you have a very understanding boss, or maybe you're you are self-employed and you're able to run your business uh, from afar, or maybe uh, you know, a husband or wife can do it in your absence or something like that. And I think that if you did pay. You know, a, a, a livable salary, you might get a, a bigger pool of candidates to choose from and a better pool of candidates to choose from. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I, I agree, and I'll be honest, I'm already starting to see it, uh, you know, where I don't think the quality of candidates in some cases in either party are what they, what they could be. So yeah. don't worry, I'm not going to push to pass the bill, but I think it's a conversation that we ought to have. Yeah. I will say this, though, Senator Thayer. I've talked with Reggie Thomas about it. He's, I mean, I don't know, about towards your specific piece of legislation, but he's in favor of making it a full-time job. So there is some bipartisan support. 
yeah, there, I mean, there will be bipartisan support for it. There will be bipartisan opposition, and there will be some people who don't want to take a position. Because I can tell you, almost everybody down there takes a financial hit to do these jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but not many people want to take a position that they want to give themselves a raise. If I were running for re-election, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have proposed this. Um, it's, you know, it's political suicide to do it, but yeah. I've got a little bit of freedom now. I, and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I filed some bills that I think are worth having a conversation on. I, I don't think we should award key scholarships to kids who have less than a 3.0 GPA in college. It's not a man scholarship mm-hmm. if you're given scholarship money generated from the lottery. Like a kid with a 2.8, that's a C average. It's average. Yeah. Only, in my opinion, 3.0 and above should get the money. Yeah. It frees up more money to make for higher awards for the A and B kids to, to, to go to school and stay in Kentucky. So these are some things. I filed a few other bills uh, on some topics that nobody, you know, I don't think school should start until after September 1st. So I filed that bill. So. Lots of stuff for people to be mad at me about uh, and to talk about uh, whenever you want to, Larry. I'm happy to do it. Senator, we're out of time. Maybe we can get into some of the stuff maybe after the the GA is over. We can kind of look back and you can uh, we can talk a little bit about some of your access to grind, <laughs> so to speak. But I appreciate your time. <laughs> I like that. Have a great yeah. weekend. Okay. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate your time. Welcome back to our program. <laughs> Excuse me. Welcome to, welcome back to our program here on Larry Clever Live. About 15 minutes left in the show. Let's go to the phone lines. We're gonna, by the way, we're going to lighten the mood now. We're gonna, I'm done with talking politics, politics for the day. We'll get some other stuff. We'll get you know, some lighter stuff to kind of ease into the weekend and uh, use it as a springboard to have fun this weekend. Uh, let's go to Al. Uh, Al, welcome. How you doing? Hey, Larry. How you doing? <clears throat> I'm great. Um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess this is kind of a light topic uh it could have been political but i i can pivot the other way and while listening to prince who was an artist uh who are doing very hairdos uh during his life mm-hmm. time going back to the uh, afro in the process uh you see hair trends uh that mm-hmm. identify with certain groups if you will musicians generally had the long hair uh, they would be bouncing, the, you know. The the guitar guy, the guy, guy to play the guitar, he might be flopping his hairstyle. Uh, and you see so many kids with different braids and their hair and designs. I really like Kenny Walker's hair. And I had a, yep. a conversation with uh, the late Mike Pratt. He and I was talking about guys that had afros back in the day, mm-hmm. and I asked him who had the biggest afro. Between uh, Artis Gilmore, who he played with, and Dr. J, who he rubbed, rubbed sh- shoulders with, and he gave the nod to, um, to Artis Gilmore. Had the most mm-hmm. neat and biggest afro. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about her and the different styles, Larry, that we see that's associated with even movie stars and yeah. celebrities, like pink and green. Miley Cyrus might rock a blonde wig with pink in it. Um, mm-hmm. what does hairstyles mean in our society today? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think, listen, I think people pick hairstyles that they think make them more attractive. 
that they, they look good or help them stand out in some way. Maybe even they express themselves a certain way. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I do think that, by and large, people should be able to wear whatever hairstyle they want. I do think that, that there should be moments where there's some appropriate appropriateness with, with hairstyle. I mean, like, for instance, uh, half the time my hair is pretty disheveled. I'm going to be the first to admit that. If I worked in an office and had to deal with customers and clients on a daily basis, I'd have to comb my hair a little bit more. I mean, I, I don't know that – I mean, I wouldn't be able to just roll in and look like I got a windstorm, you know. I mean, I I, I, I sort of like sort of, the, sort of the unkept look. I don't really pay much attention to how my hair looks, really, to be honest with you. But if I were in a position where I was on camera, for instance, instead of just being on microphone, I'd have to pay attention more attention to that. Conversely, if you have, um, you know, if you're hiring a sales rep, <clears throat> I think a company should have some expectation that 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 their sales reps, you know, look like that they are they don't have hit and miss personal hygiene. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they look like that they they are well groomed, well kept. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if if someone has the kind of job where they're very artsy and they have pink hair, more power to them. I don't care. But if they if they're representing a company and that company says, I, "I think you having pink hairdo is not quite the image we're looking for," I think they should have be have some say. So, you know, we'd like you to have a more traditional hairstyle because while some of our customers may not care, some of them may it may it may not appeal to some other customers as well. Because I think in this day and age. You can't run the risk of offending a certain portion of potential clients out there. So, I, I mean, I think it depends on the mm-hmm. job. But in just in, in general, I mean, I think people wear hairstyles that they feel express themselves or maybe they think looks good or, you know, they might happen to want to stand out or get attention. That's their business. But I do think that when you're in, in, in employment in certain roles, I think the employer should have a little bit of say as to, as to I mean, how you wear. I, I don't know. That if you're, you know, selling copiers, you should come in with like a spiked mohawk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Um, but didn't the hippies have long hair but, but below their shoulders and sort yeah. of had that attached to them? And then you have these the, the guys with the, the spiked mohawk. Uh, aren't they generally associated with skateboarders and yep. kids that like yep. the surfboards and stuff? I mean, it's really I just, well, yeah. I'm just you know, hairstyles are attached to certain groups of people, and mm-hmm. it, in some areas in our society, it draws controversy and despise. Uh, it, I yeah. mean, you think a simple hairdo wouldn't do that, but uh, in essence, it, it does. You got you have if you bring a, if a girl brings a guy home to their father who might be a minister or what have you, mm-hmm. and his hair is always you know to his back, you know that you know this is Peter. Well, you know, Papa yeah. might not like Peter because he has a different hairstyle than what he's used to. I think, you know, hairstyles can be different. I mean, listen, I mean, there, there are certain ethnicities that have different kinds of hair, different textures of hair. So, I mean, I, I think people should be sympathetic or understanding that, that some hairstyles are, you know, are possible with, with certain types of textures of hair. I mean, African Americans mm-hmm. and Caucasians have different, different kinds of hair different hair textures of hair, different styles of hair. So, I mean, I, I think some, I mean, I, I think that needs to be considerations. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that does. But, I mean, but, but crazy hairstyles for, you know, by any race or any demographic, I think maybe needs to be muted down a little bit when you're working in an industry that's got mass appeal, so to speak. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Larry. Uh, Kentucky tomorrow should win by 15, um, and that's what I, I, I think they'll win by 15 tomorrow. 
My wife just texted and said, Papa didn't like your hair, but we still made it work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember one time I walked in, and uh, you guys probably know who Twitch is. I walked in. I was doing the mornings or something, and I walked in like at 530 in the morning, and Twitch looked at me. He said, dude, you look like you slept on a park bench. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I probably did. I probably did. I mean, but I, but if I were if I were going to be on television, like if LAX team was going to do an interview with me, I wouldn't have been able. I wouldn't have been able to pull that off. So I mean, I I think you need to have some some reason when it comes to hairstyles, crazy hairstyles like that. You know, if you're working in the mass appeal industry, but but some some understanding that that you know certain ethnicities and certain types of hair textures of hair might require or maybe have some latitude about what kinds of hairstyles you have, you know, and how you groom. I mean, some people are different. So I appreciate it. Al. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to John next up. John, welcome. How you doing? Larry, long time no talk to. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Thanks for calling back. It's been a while. It has. Uh, I was listening to Dr. Voss in your conversation. Uh, I'm I'm compelled to offer my two cents worth on all of this. Okay. All right. I think that every president that this country's had has been a politician mm -hmm. or involved in government somehow mm -hmm. before they ran for president. Uh, there are there the are so, well I, I will say hold on I will say I mean I think there are a couple of exceptions there I mean well, do you consider a, a do, you, do you consider like a military leader for instance like Andrew yeah. Jackson was he a politician I mean or is he a regular was he a regular folk Well he was connected he wasn't a guy off the street like Trump No yeah and Truman I, kind of Truman, like, I, I don't think I don't think Truman was a politician or a government official was he Oh he was the vice president. Well, I mean, before he was vice president, though. <clears throat> but I get I, you, but, I, but, like but I, I, John, I get you. I get your point, though. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to. Yeah, I didn't mean to hijack but, your conversation. But go ahead. Sure. No, but you understand what I'm saying. I and I'm trying to trying to put into thought how this affected politics with him getting involved, and it's kind of like I hate to say it, but uh, somebody starting their own mafia. And the mafia says this ain't going to happen. So turf wars. He didn't. He the, the politicians in this country have control of the government. They have control of the media, and it's the good old boys <coughs> club. And the silver spoon teenagers sit down with their parents, and the parents say, "I'm going to treat you like John Kennedy. His dad did him. I'm going <coughs> to provide you with the means." the contacts, the mm -hmm. law, the college degree, the secret handshake, all of that, and you can become mm -hmm. rich, powerful, global, famous, <laughs> and exceptionally rich. And this is kind of what it's all about in a lot of cases. Not all of them, but Trump walked in off the street, and he had the chops to run our nation. And he did a hell of a good job, pardon my expression. Mm -hmm. And the the good old boys in politics said, no, we can't have this. And they have, since his hand came off the Bible when he took his oath, they've been hitting him with rotten tomatoes and eggs continuously. 
and up to today, and he has weathered that. I don't know of any politician that could ever withstand, or not, I said politician, darn it, but any mm-hmm. person that could withstand that kind of uh, vitriol and still make a very good impression, plus make the rest of the country either love him or hate him. And I think a lot of the, the power that Trump has gained is the way he's been treated by the Democrats, just because he's not a member of the boys' club. And well, I you know, if you recall, when he won, before he was even sworn into office, uh, there were people vowing to impeach him. Sure. And you look at, what, Schiff or whatever his name was, the bug-eyed guy from California? Adam, Adam Schiff, yeah. He made up everything, and it was all over the news, all this muckracking. Now, I mean, everybody knows this. It's, it's common, but the point is, is that if, if you're not a part of the club, you're not going to get to control the government because that is the biggest fear that politicians have is that an ordinary person can actually be elected to run this country. And that's the truth. That's the Mm -hmm. truth. They're scared to death of somebody qualified that's not a member of the boys club. And if they lose power, it's going to let other people know that you don't have to be a politician to make a, an impression in your lifetime. And uh, <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Well, I mean, I, I, I <clears throat> excuse me. I do think that there's something appealing. For me, I don't like Donald Trump personally. I think he's the wrong, I think he was the wrong guy. I don't know who the right person is. Um, I think it's kind of refreshing to get someone that's not tainted from the from the outside. The one thing I'll say is, is if you look at our best presidents and our most, our, I think our, our most effective presidents, is they're not part of the Washington D.C. machine. They're typically yeah. governors. I mean, you yeah. look at most of our presidents in my lifetime. You know, yeah. um, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush. You know, um, I, I, all I governors. Joe all, Joe Biden getting up here in Trump's office. And something big hits Trump's desk. A uh, hotel in Turkey is having this, that, and the other. Well, Joe mm-hmm. Biden would have to go to his constituents, go to Obama, go to his pollsters, everybody, and get permission and a pat on the back or whatever just to make a decision. And Trump, something lands. I on do, but I do believe that that Washington D.C. and policymaking is 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 a lot of horse trading. And when you have someone coming from the outside that's not familiar with the process or have the the contacts and the connections to be able to to work yeah. and to negotiate in that world, I think it is disruptive. And I think there probably were people that didn't quite know what to expect. He had a lot of bluster, things he wanted to do that maybe a lot of the the uh, the bureaucracy and the, and the bureaucrats in Washington D.C. disagreed with. And I I think there probably was. Right out of the gate, a, a very adversarial you know expectation of dealing with Donald Trump. I got to go, John. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. But I, I mean, I, I think there probably is some elements to that for sure. I mean, he was an outsider. Um, he was talking a big game about a lot of radical things. I say radical in terms of just something that's very, very different than what's taking place in Washington D.C. Talking about building a wall and and uh, and making a lot of uh, you know a lot of comments about things I think are practical matters need to be addressed, but but addressing it and messaging in a way that um, that was unique and and and, and inflammatory at, at times. And I think there was some expectations of what he was going to be 
and they prepared for it and they prepared to deal with them as if those expectations would come to fruition. I, I think it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. They viewed him as being someone that they, they expected to see, and, uh, and, and, by, and by going after him the way they did, in many ways, they sort of created it in a lot of ways, I think. Appreciate the call, John. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> Al just texted me, I agree with the caller. Trump perhaps the most unique person ever, he and Ali. I think Donald Trump is a unique guy. If he had just conducted himself with a modicum of discipline and, 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 and had a filter for his messaging, um, I think he'd be president right now. I think he'd be president. And I think I think he might well have been viewed very very differently. Um, but he he just he he wants to fight every battle. I and mean, you know whether it's someone on Twitter with 422 followers at two o'clock in the morning or or a reporter with CNN. I mean Jim Acosta comes to mind. Um, he just he has to fight every battle, and you just can't do that. You have to let stuff go. You have to let some go. You have to pick your battle, so to speak. And that's something that I don't think Donald Trump really had ever really much of an appetite for, frankly. All right, so we got a uh, basketball game coming up tomorrow. It'll be Kentucky uh, taking on uh, Arkansas. Uh, the uh, the Cats, uh, I haven't seen a line on it yet. Uh, I figure them to be a, a heavy favorite. Um, it tips off at one thirty. We'll be on the air with uh, our postgame coverage around 3.30 or so with uh, Kenny Skywalker. Stay tuned. Cruiser and crew is coming up next. Gordon will have news, weather, and traffic. Uh, and then he'll hand the reins over to Cruiser, who will have three more hours of talk. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. We'll see you after the game tomorrow right here on 97.3 FM WVLK and 590 WVLK AM. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. (laughs) I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. (laughs) Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen.